Hello and welcome everyone to the ninth episode of our weekly podcast, India Colonized. I'm your host, Omar Haq, and here we bring to you stories and legends from our colonial past of a nation. Today we're going to be talking about Reginald Herber, the English Bishop of Calcutta who visited the Mughal capital of Delhi during his tour of Northern India, where he was presented to the aging Emperor Akbar Shah in Tilay Mubarak, or what today is known as Lal Qila. The eve of New Year, a foggy and freezing morning in Delhi where a chilling cold breeze blew in from the Jamuna River enough to crack up bones. Half past eight was the appointed time of Lord Bishop of Calcutta, Reginald Herber, to present himself in front of the Mughal Emperor. As he mounted his elephant, the acclamation of Bismillah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Kareem were made by the people who were attending to him, which he notes in his books. While he was accompanied by Lushington and Captain Wade, the bishop was welcomed by Mr. Elliot, who was the son of the Delhi resident appointed in the Mughal court by the East India Company. As they rode into the Barbican, spruce and fashionable horsemen on both sides in white stallion preceded the procession. They were presented with arms and once they entered through the majestic gateways of Lalkala, they proceeded through what the bishop called the noblest vestibules and gateways he ever saw. The elephants walked through the great Gothic-styled arches and made their way to the aisles which began at the great gate tower. The middle constituted of a small open octagonal court all made of granite and finely carved with inscriptions from the Quran and with beautiful flowers, red, blue, green inlay with beautiful stones. As they made their way through the arched aisles continuing after the court, their eyes laid on a ruinous table yard. It was not a beautiful sight, notes Reginald. Shortly after, elderly men dressed in long golden brocade cords holding large gold-headed canes decked like royalty themselves approached the incoming caravan. And among them was Captain Grant, the Mughal officer on guard appointed by East India Company, holding his golden-headed cane, which was the usual insignia of the office in Mughal court. Asked to dismount, the bishop and his company were then asked to continue on foot for the rest of the walk towards a Mughal Grand Court. They passed by the lush Mughal gardens with calming trickling sound of water of stream, accompanied by a flock of pigeons and birds flying in and the bright blue sky which was merciful today to appear after the harsh rain the previous night. The roads were inconvenient after the downpour, making it quite difficult for the bishop to manage his cassock and the gown as he made his way to the striking and beautiful majestic view of Tiwane Khas, or what is known as the Hall of Special Audience. It was a striking court, notes Reginald Herber, richly ornamented building with an open pavilion of richly carved marble. Flanked by rose bushes and fountains adorned with tapestry and striped curtain borders with gold thread hanging in festoons around it. Among a sea of people sat the poor old descendant of Tamerlane on a richly ornamented marble bedstead with gilding that was raised two or three steps high. The bishop and his company bowed three times to the emperor which was the custom 
and while they were presented, the ceremony repeated two more times as they advanced towards him. The heralds called out in a sort of what Reginald notes to be a very harsh chant. He notes, Lo, the ornament of the world, the asylum of the nation, king of kings, the emperor Akbar Shah, just, fortunate and victorious. After this, Mr. Elliot stepped forward and with joined hands, which was the usual eastern way, announced in a low voice to the emperor who the visitors were. Herber moved forward and bore down offering a Nazrana as the tradition of the Mughal court. He offered 51 gold muhas or gold coins in an embroidered purse offering it on a handkerchief. This was received and laid on one side and he remained standing for some time. The emperor made himself friendly with the bishop asking him about his health, his journey so far through the upper part of Hindustan and how it, it, the journey was for him. And while Herbert took the opportunity of the conversation to see up the old gentleman a little more plainly, a little more closely. He observes that he was pale, thin, but with a very handsome face. With an aquile nose and a long white Moorish beard, his complexion was little, if at all, darker than that of an European. His hands were very fair and delicate, and he had some valuable-looking rings on them. His hands and his face were all that he could see of him, for the morning being cold, he was wrapped up in shawls. Herbert stepped back a bit and ceremoniously presented five more mohas to their heir apparent on the left side and on the right to the British resident of the Mughal court. The emperor then beckoned Herbert to step closer to him. At such an invitation, Mr. Elliot, the resident, signaled at him to take off his hat, off his head, and the emperor then tied a flimsy turban on his head made of brocade. The company was then directed to retire into a small private room adjoining the Zanana, where they were provided with kehlats as a bounty from the Alampana, or the asylum of the world. Here, the bishop was presented with a handsome flowered kaftan with fur and a pair of common shawls for his servants. He walked back again in what he called a strange dress while his name was announced by the criers succeeding his name with honorific titles, which he recorded in his diary as Bahatur, Buzuni, and Dalatmand. The bishop again approached the emperor and presented him with a gift, this time an Arabic Bible and a Hindustani common prayer, handsomely bound in blue velvet laced with gold. Wrapped up in a piece of brocade, he then mentioned to the bishop to stoop and put a string of pearls round his neck and the two glittering but not costly ornaments in front of his turban. Soon a white stallion horse was presented to the bishop in the emperor's name. The ceremonious presentation of the imperial munificence was accompanied with heralding the proclamation of his large seas. Herbert then made his way out as he bowed thrice again and his salams and sought permission to leave. Mr. Elliot accompanied the royal guest to his room. 
Herbert was immediately struck with the beautiful ornaments of the room, entirely lined with marbles, inlaid with flowers and leaves of green serpentine, lapis and lucies with blue and red porphyry. The flowers were the best of Italian workmanship. All, however, was dirty, desolate and forlorn. Half the flowers and leaves had been picked out or otherwise defaced, and the doors and the windows were in state of dilapidation. While a quantity of old furniture was piled in one corner and torn hanging of faced tapestry hung over, an archway which led to the interior apartment. Such, Mr. Elliot said, is the general style in which the palace is kept and furnished. It is not absolute poverty which produces this, but these people have no idea of cleaning or mending anything. Herber, in his memoir, wrote down the Persian line that hit him while he stood witnessing the absolute dilapidated condition of the palace. The quote goes something like this. The spider hangs her tapestry in the palace to Caesar. For his current lodging as tradition demanded, he sent a gift of five mohas to the queen, or as she would be called in the Mughal days of yore, the Empress of Hindustan. The emperor's Chobdas eagerly came up to the room seeking to know what they were going to get in their bakshish. Well, not a tradition that is lost. After waiting for some time, news reached that the emperor had now retired into a zanana. Herber was now taken to the hall of audience again, which he had seen, but imperfectly because of the crowd. He describes Tiwane Khas to be a very beautiful pavilion of white marble, open on one side to the court and the other side to a large garden. Its pillars and arches are exquisitely carved and ornamented with gilt and inlaid flowers and inscriptions in the most elaborate Persian character. Around the Fraser in Moto recorded, which he believes was written by Lala Rook, and I quote, If there is to be an Elysium on earth, it is this, it is this, it is this. He observed the marble floor of the audience hall and found it exquisite, if not more than what the room he had been lodged in. He made his way towards the edges of the hall to find luscious gardens with fruit trees and more prominently orange trees and parrotiers filled with rose bushes surrounded by a channel of white marble of water with little fountain pipes carved like roses from the marble. Among these parrotiers and at the end of the terrace lay a beautiful octagonal pavilion and a tower called Shahi Burj. Also made of marble, lined with the same mosaic flowers as the room which he first saw, with marble fountains called Nehre Bahish, literally translated into streams from paradise. Flowing from the centre through the most of the pavilions and structures of the fort, including Tiwane Khas, with lotus-carved fountains from marble in the centre and beautiful baths in recess on one of its sides. The window of this pavilion, which was raised to a height of the city wall, commanded a beautiful and magnificent view of Delhi and its neighbourhood. But all was, when they saw it, dirty, lonely and wretched. The bath and the fountain dry, the inlaid pavement hid with lumber and gardener sweepings, and the walls stained with dung of birds and bats. 
They were then taken to a private mosque of the palace, this one built by the last great Mughal Aurangzeb. Herbert described it to be an elegant little building, also of white marble, exquisitely carved, but in the same state of neglect and dilapidation, with people allowing to spring from its walls and the exterior's gilding partially torn from its stone and some of its door coarsely blocked up with unplastered brick and mortar. He went last to Diwane Am or the Hall of Public Audience, which is the outer court and where on certain occasions the great Mughals sat in state to receive the compliments or petitions of his subjects. This is also described to be a splendid pavilion of marble, not unlike other halls of audience and form, but considerably larger and open on three sides only. On the fourth side is a black wall covered with the same mosaic flowers of leaves as described, and in the center a throne raised about 10 feet from ground, with a small platform of marble in the front where the wazir used to stand and hand up petitions to his master. Behind this throne were mosaic paintings of birds, animals and flowers, and in the center what decides this point of their being the work of Italian or at least European artist offices playing with small group of beasts. Orphesis, if I'm pronouncing that right, was a Greek mythical character whose singing and instruments were supposed to be soothing to all animals. But to understand why a Greek mythological character was chosen to be in a 17th century Mughal public hall became the sole question that governed the thesis of Ebba Koch, who was now an acclaimed expert on Mughal architecture. Her thesis makes an interesting observation that the motive of offices was had both wild animals and their prey sitting beside each other in peace and harmony. That was a message that Shah Jahan wanted to convey to his subject, that in his reign, everyone, the powerful, the weak, can live with each other in peace. This hall, when they saw it, Herber writes, and I quote, was full of lumber of all descriptions, broken palaquins and empty boxes, and the throne so covered with pigeon's dung that, it was, that its ornaments were hardly visible. Herber, in exasperation, writes, how little did Shah Jahan, the founder of these fine buildings, foresee what would have been the fate of his descendants or what of his own would be? Vanity of vanities was surely never written in more legible characters than on the dilapidated arcades of Delhi. Thank you very much everyone for tuning in for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and if you did, please like, comment, share and subscribe or follow our podcast. We're also available on Instagram, Twitter and we'll very be soon be uh, publishing our website and our blog page. So please feel free to check out. The links will be given in description below. Uh, we hope to make newer and more uh, nuanced and more informative and more narrative-based episodes in future. So please do support us for our cause. Thank you very much and have a good day. Stay home, stay safe.